Good morning, everybody. Hopefully you're having an outstanding, what is it, Wednesday? Christmas is only a couple of days away. We got a special guest today, so let me just dive into my normal spiel so we can get this show going. Make sure I hit the right button. First, welcome to Break the Cycle with DSD. I am your host, Dwayne. I am not a therapist, though our guest is. And uh, I'm not an attorney. I'm an individual who has gone through a tough experience and developed some tips and techniques that I share with you to help you get your life back, break the cycle of abuse, strengthen the relationship with your kids, and just minimize the crazy. If uh, you want to call your ex a narcissist or say they have a personality personality disorder, don't do it. Only a licensed professional can diagnose somebody with a personality disorder. Don't throw away your credibility just for the off chance that you can take your finger and just poke them in the eye. Be strategic about what you do and focus on the, on the long game, on the war instead of the battle. Pick your, pick your fights and don't throw away the credibility because that's the main thing you have going through this. If you like what's going on here and you want to support the show, you can do that by becoming a channel member. Just surf on over to youtube.com slash dad surviving divorce. Click the join button. You get special badges, custom emojis, names listed in the credits, access to member only events and an access to a section of the discord for members. If you want to get text notifications when this show goes live, you can text DSC live to 844-598-0012, 844-598-0012. And on that, I'm not going to have call-ins because we have a guest, and I'm just going to flip over to that. Chris, how you doing this morning? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I got my coffee. It's almost Christmas. Things are going okay. But uh, we have a topic we want to hit that I think will be very helpful for people. And yes. uh, if, you, if people saw the title, it's, we're being a little melodramatic, kind of, not really, that denial can be deadly. It was a topic yeah. we came up with. And you had somebody that, that, that you were talking about before we started. Do you want to just dive into that story? That's a good segue, I think, to start oh, into this. It's so funny. This morning, I opened up my IM and somebody who had been a listener for a long time said, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I just, you know, I, I listened to your podcast. I've been listening for like, you know, 200 different podcasts. And you know how you always say, read the books and do the work? Well, I finally did. And oh my gosh, my life has improved. And she's like, well, it only took 200 times of hearing that to finally do it. <laughs> but she did it. So that's, that's what counts. But we tend to, when faced with this kind of insanity, this kind of abuse, this kind of, because normal people don't do this, right? So when yeah. we're faced with this kind of behavior that is so abnormal, we there's a part of us that really resists doing the work, you know, reading the books, getting to a good therapist, working on the issues, taking a look at, you know, how did I fall for this person? Who did this person remind me of from my childhood? What's going on there? Because it's so funny. It's like, it's like somebody who's been through great trauma will oftentimes sit on my couch and say, oh, my childhood was perfect. Oh, no, it was great. Oh, no, no, no. And then as the story starts unraveling, you start hearing the verbal abuse, the physical abuse, the sexual abuse, the mental abuse, the religious abuse, the, you know, the whole thing. And part of it is denial. And denial can be very deadly if you yeah. do not really seriously take your abuser seriously. And what led you to that point if you continue to stay in denial, you very well could be putting your life in danger. I, I think part of the issue is, is that, and, and it's, it's, it's fascinating. You're talking about how people will, will, will verbalize the words. They'll tell you how horrible something is, but at the same time in their own mind, they think it's, it's fine. And I think it's because we normalize this stuff. It's like, well, that was just everyone's childhood is bad. Everyone goes through stuff. So mine was quote unquote normal. And so this is, this is what abusive parents do. Yeah. Everybody's family is like this. No family is normal. Everybody's family does X, Y, and Z. When in fact, everybody's family does not do X, Y, and Z. And we minimize it because think about it. When we get damaged as kids, there's a little inner child living inside of us. And it is so hard to wrap that little kid's mind around the fact that mom and dad did not have our backs. And that's, that is devastating to a small child. So that is why in part 
a lot of adults have a hard time addressing and dealing with the trauma that they have is because it's just, it's like, no, 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 no. Mom and dad loved me. Well, no, they didn't, you know? You know, it reminds me, I remember at one point in the early part of this, when I was dealing with my therapist, she was fantastic. I, I love her. I didn't even realize she was a trauma therapist. Uh, whenever I picked her, she was recommended. Anyways, we, we were trying uh, EM, EDMR, EMDR, and uh, it, at, it, at that particular stage, the way I, I kind of describe it is when we're starting through it, it felt like the, the closet door was opening and all this stuff was bursting out and it was just too much to handle. And fortunately, she was skilled enough that we, we stopped that and we were able to work through that stuff in a different way. But it, it's amazing how... I guess denial is the right way to say it. You, you just get to the point that you just don't even want to look at it. You don't want to address it. It's too painful. It's too scary. And you don't realize how damaging that is to the rest of your life. I mean, you cannot feel the pain. I mean, it's weird how this, this what I'm getting ready to say scenario affects or is, is a truth for everything in life. If you don't do the pain and deal with the issue, it gets worse. Yes. And if you don't deal with the childhood issues, it will play out in your romantic life. Let me just say that again. Yeah. If you do not deal with the childhood issues, it will play out in your romantic life because the inner child looks outside and goes, oh, 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 look, there is somebody who reminds me of mom or dad. So if I can make that person love me and realize this is not conscious, it's not like you wake up in the morning and go, gosh, I'd really like to date mom and dad. (laughs) But what you do is you look outside and you go, oh, here's somebody who reminds me of the parent I had the most difficult time with. If I can make that person love me, I prove the original wound wrong. They're wrong. I'm lovable. Doesn't work that way. Half of a doo-doo sandwich, half of a doo-doo sandwich. Total doo-doo sandwich. Well, and you just recreate the same problem. I mean, that's why. Over and you know, over. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, and, and the crazy part is, is we all have the ability to wake up one day and say, okay, enough. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to focus on the original wounds. I'm going to, I'm going to get my life in order. And the crazy, you know, see, this is what's so crazy about it, right? So you try to, you, you, you try to find somebody else subconsciously. And this is what I did to, to fill that void. Yeah. And, and you pick somebody who's, who's damaged, who will never, it's like an equation that'll never solve. But if you just took a, took a pause, worked on yourself, dealt with that, dealt your, you know, rebuild your self-esteem, rebuild your self-worth, rebuild your, your healthy boundaries, the person you'll ultimately pick won't be that because you would never deal with it. You would not not deal with it. You would never allow that into your life. You would never. Yeah. It's, it's like, I tell people, they often ask me, well, how long is this going to take? And I'm like, well, are you working on yourself? The sooner you work on yourself, the sooner you're going to get healthy. And then once you get healthy, trust me, narcissists don't even come sniffing around. Right. I mean, they might try once, but once they realize that you're like, "Mm -mm, not playing, not putting up with this, they scatter. See, that's a, that's a really good point too. And, and, you know, cause some people are like, that's the key. It's that the narcissistic people are toxic people. They push buttons. They're, they're going around, they're testing. And as soon as they find somebody who's like, Oh, okay, that person's vulnerable. That person I have a wedge into, you know, this other person, Oh, wow. This person's got too much light in their life or however you want to say it. And it's like, Nope, ain't going to go there because I don't have, it's, it's not the low hanging fruit. Now, not that they exactly. won't try. I mean, some will. I mean, they'll yeah, try. And yeah. and that's where I think I've, I've seen this a lot. I'm, I'm going to ask you, well, let me ask you this, because I've seen this with my subscriber base or my, my viewership. People who have short-term toxic relationships, for the most part, seem to have had a really decent family life. Like they grew up with what love was supposed to be. And then you have people like me who it takes two decades to where you finally say, okay, this is bull. And then you start peeling back and it's like, oh yeah, okay. Well, you grew up in a really crappy environment and your boundary, you know, your, your self-esteem was destroyed. I mean, and you can, I mean, I was a, a highly successful person in my career. I had promoted higher than, than I probably should. (laughs) Not that I should have, but I mean, for, for not having college and, and different things, I, I had done really well. But fundamentally, I was still dealing with those that uh, 
that self-esteem problem and the low boundaries and the fear of being alone and all that crap. And, Mm -hmm. uh, it's just, it, it really just corrupts your life. It does. (laughs) And I think that's a large reason why people dive right back into another abusive relationship is that fear of being alone. And what they don't understand is you need to be alone to work on those original wounds so that when you are ready to emerge like a butterfly, you, you no longer are hanging out with toxic people, toxic friends, working in a toxic work environment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that alone period is terrifying. So remember, little kids don't like to be abandoned. Yeah. They don't like to be alone. And so that to them feels like death. Like I literally, I, I've had multiple clients where I have said, you know, they've gotten out of one relationship and they're immediately back on a dating app. And I'm like, stop, oh, God. stop, you need to stop. Because first of all, that's where the predators are. And second of all, you need this time alone to figure out who the hell you really are. What do you want? What do you need? What are your desires? What's your ambition? What do you want to be doing? What are your hobbies? Because the the abuser will come in and basically tell the target of abuse, no, you like this, you want this, you deserve this, you, you know, Mm -hmm. they basically tell you who and what you are and you need that time alone to get that self-esteem back in place, rock solid. So you know what you want, you need. And I keep telling people, it really truly does all boil down to self-esteem. If you have self-esteem, you're not going to put up with this shit. Yeah. Oops, sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. I, I, uh, it, you know, it's weird. I'm glad, I'm glad you're saying that because so many times people, I, so many times people will give you the advice. You just need to get back out there. You just need to go hook up with somebody. Hell, I even had my kid's therapist, who's a psych D, who basically said, you just need to get laid. And I'm like, you're out of your effing mind and you're a professional. You know, I mean, it's, it's, if you, it's so frustrating when people, and I know you're not saying that, but I, I find it so frustrating when people give people that advice. Just get out there. You know, it's like, no, take a moment. You know, you've just yes. been through a traumatic experience. You're having this life epiphany to where you're realizing, holy crap, something's wrong. I need to right. fix it. Spend the time. And I and I want to just dovetail back to something you said a moment ago when you were talking mm-hmm. about when people ask you how long. Because I asked that question too. It's like, how long am I going to feel this way? And, you know, the answer, I think, my first therapist, which I ran out of money, I couldn't pay her, so I had to take a break. And that's when I found the second one. Both of them were actually really good. And, you know, the answer was, is, well, it's going to take as long as it takes. And that's and it's like, I, I wish she would have said, it's going to take as long as it takes for you to process this, to accept it, to basically yeah. to work through it. And I think she kind of yeah. did it, but I didn't hear it at the time. I mean, I see it now. And, right. and it, it, I mean, and for some people it could take, maybe it's a month. Thank, I mean, it wasn't for me, or it could be a couple of years. Whatever right. your timeline is, is your timeline. Well, yeah, that's true yeah. too. Yeah. It, it depends on the level of abuse. So think of it this way. When somebody is coming out of an abusive relationship, not only is your world destroyed financially, emotionally, possibly religiously, you know, it's like you're having to cope with the fact that you fell in love with an illusion and that you're mourning, you're in grieving, you're mourning the loss of what you thought you had. So it's not only working on the trauma you are now grieving and your inner child is grieving and processing whatever this person brought up for them so it's not a one and done you know it really isn't especially if you've got trauma after trauma after trauma after trauma so family of origin then you dated an abuser then you dated another abuser then you dated another abuser every single time you go through that trauma process you are re-grieving and re experiencing the trauma of all the previous traumas. You know, it's funny you say that. Well, not funny, but I I remember before I went through this, when I was still happily married, living the dream, thinking I had the best person in my life, not realizing that it was, uh, I was living, you know, a nightmare, but I would watch people, primarily women, actually, that, that would, they, I, I would see it on like their Facebook. It's like, oh my God, I met this great guy. He's the greatest guy in the world. Oh my God, everything's great. And then they would disappear from Facebook 
And then they would come back and like, oh my God, that was a horrible relationship. I had to get off. There was so much abuse. And then like two months later, three months, it was like a cycle. It was like, I'm, I, I could almost like set my watch to it. And then it was just the same thing and the same thing and the same thing. And it, people are unwilling. They're, they're looking for the magic bullet. Yeah. Think of it that way. They're looking for the magic bullet and they're looking for the magic pill. So it's the same thing when people come and sit on my couch and they're like, well, but can't you just give me a pill to make me feel better? And I'm like, first of all, I don't prescribe. Second of all, I'm not a big fan of pharma. Third of all, yeah, exactly. If you really want to really fix it, you've got to fix the thoughts, the mistaken thoughts and the mistaken beliefs that are driving whatever it is that's going on in your life. But they want an instant fix. So for them, it's like, where's the magic bullet? Where's the magic pill? Where's the magic person that's yeah. going to come and say, where's my Prince Charming? And, you know, I hate to say it. I really do blame a lot of Disney for this, <laughs> you know, yeah. because I was watching, what was I watching the other night? I was watching the Emperor's New Groove and I'd never seen it before. And since we we're back in quarantine, basically again, yeah. I was like, okay, Disney plus cool. <laughs> so I started going through and watching, you know, movies that I hadn't seen. And as I started watching it, I'm like, the title character is a complete and total narcissist. And then, of course, by the end of the film, he gets it. He turns his life around. He has friends. He's, you know, a good ruler, you know, all yeah. of this stuff. And I'm like, that's not reality. They don't ever get it. They don't ever change. They don't ever, you know, suddenly get a bunch of real true friends. They have a bunch of fake friends. But, yeah. you know, I'm sitting here going, and that's, that, is the, that is the theme in a lot of these romance movies, in a lot of these Disney movies where the guy is a bad guy and then the girl comes in and changes them to be good. And it's simply not reality. Yeah. It's, it's hopeful thinking. I mean, and, and you're it, setting yourself up for failure. Yeah, I mean, we totally. want, we want to believe that that's, I mean, I'm, and I've seen that too. I mean, you know, actually, I won't even say this about, I actually had this comment once with my therapist when they said something about, I can't remember how they said it, but basically she had said something along the lines of, you know, that, it is the way she is or, or something like that. And I, and, and I know what she's basically saying what you just said, but what I heard is, Oh, there's a way I could help her to get better. And I had asked, and I said, I mean, here I am getting harpooned. I mean, this person is basically, if they had a knife, they would slit my throat in a moment. And I was still like, Oh, does that mean there's a chance I could help her get better and have a better life? And the person is looking that, at me like I grew a third head, you know, it's like, no, yes, that's codependency. Yeah. That is codependency. So, that Let would be denial. Throw, <laughs> yes. Let me just throw some books at you that will help with that. All right. The Disease to Please by Harriet Breaker. Who's Pulling Your Strings by Harriet Breaker. Uh, CPTSD from Surviving to Thriving by Pete Walker. The, that one I have uh, on the, the shelf. <laughs> yes. The Self-Esteem Workbook by Glenn Schiraldi. Um, any and all of those books will help break that magic spell because again, it's that little kid inside of us that desperately wants to save everybody, to have everybody be happy, to have everybody be whole, to, you know, get back to what we had. Because remember, they abuse, 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 love bomb, love bomb, love bomb, abuse, 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 love bomb, love bomb, love bomb. And we're living for that moment when they go back to being that loving, wonderful, happy, go lucky, kind partner. When they go back so, to giving you those breadcrumbs. Yeah. And, and, and unfortunately, your self esteem is so low that you think that's all you deserve is those breadcrumbs. Right. It's crazy. Or you and I've had other clients do this too. And this is, this is heartbreaking when you have to disabuse them. I, I love that word, disabuse them hmm. of the abuse. So they'll sit there and they'll tell me all the horrible things that the partner is doing, but that's not the real him. The real him is, is when he's, he or she oh, yeah. is being kind and nice. And I'm like, no, sweetheart. The real them is the one that's being the sadist because yeah. good, normal, healthy, kind people do not do that to other people. They just don't. It's, it's, it's so frustrating because you, you, you the, everything is right in front of you. Uh, what I've noticed is looking at my situation and even looking at different people who have coached and, and, you know, commented on the videos or called in or whatever is people will rationalize that behavior and just make excuses for it. Yeah. And just, I mean, and it's like, and it and it's right in front of you. And typically what I've also noticed is that they will tell you from day one who they are. 
They, they might say it in like, you know, oh, everyone abandons me because my mind had said that. I mean, huge oh, red my flag. Crazy. Um, yeah, all my one. exes. Oh, you know, I, yeah, I had that. I, I finally realized, not finally, but like, you know, a few years ago, maybe seven, realized, oh, my God, I'm the latest uh, crazy abusive ex, you know, because right. I was capped. Oh, I almost said I almost said a term. Captain save a person um, with her where, uh, uh, you know, she she I'm like, oh, my God, this poor little butterfly. How could anyone treat this angel so badly? And, you know, it's it's funny. It's not funny. It's ironic is in my mind, I'm thinking if I am so good to this person, they will have no choice but to love me and to be loyal and and we'll have this great relationship. And I've ta- and I've seen that from a lot of people. It's like that's kind of like it's like, OK, well, if I if I provide everything and I treat you the best I can and I and I and I try to make all your dreams come true, why would you leave me for the you know, for the for the. I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to somebody who makes significantly or let's just say somebody who's a, a, who is abusive, who has a criminal record, who has a drug problem, right. you know, and, and you're just like, what the f- what? And, right. and, and, and I mean, just to be clear, my situation, my as far as I know, my ex hasn't done that. But I mean, I've seen that pattern play out multiple times as well. Right. And you got to understand, too, is that male abusers play that victim role as well. The, the same, oh, yeah. you know, needing you know, they, they're the person that needs to be saved. So men play the victim as well. It's not just women. I don't want to make that perfectly clear. And the, oftentimes what I see is that, like you said, again, that inner child who wants everybody to be okay, but I can make them love me, but I can, you know, why would they leave me? Cause I'm such a great person. Why would they, you know, but then they do, because remember their self-esteem is in the toilet and they enjoy the drama. And if we cannot provide drama because we're providing all this good stuff, they hate it. They well, hate it. And they hate us for being happy. And and then they'll sabotage it. What I, I was just talking to someone the other day who's going through this. And I'm like, look, here, here's the problem. If you have somebody who who has all these childhood wounds, and maybe I didn't say it that way, but who, who has this past history, fundamentally their subconscious says they're that that's what they deserve. So if you come in and you're the you're the good person. Well, it scares them because that's not normal to them. So it's like right. they need to create that chaos and they'll destroy the relationship. They'll find a way to sabotage it. I think primarily they try to push you or the, the other person to break it off or to do something mm-hmm. so that they can say, ah, see, you cheated on me or you did this. Uh, right. But ultimately it's, it's to destroy, the, destroy it to, pr- to, to prove their subconscious correct. Yeah, you're right. You don't, you're not worthy of it. You know, you don't deserve right. real love. You don't deserve somebody who cares about you. And the, and right. the sad part is, if somebody isn't willing to work on that, and most of the time they're not, and they're not, you're not going to, you're not going to save them. You're not. Right. No, you're not. You cannot save the unwilling. <laughs> Seriously, like you that. cannot save the unwilling. If they are willing to work on themselves, like really, because generally truly abusive people whether they be malignant narcissists or malignant borderlines are unwilling to stick with therapy so as soon as the therapist goes and what's your part in this they go screw you you're incompetent you're dangerous i'm leaving you're a terrible therapist and they walk out and they never come back yeah or they take what is said in couples counseling and they will use it against the partner which is why i keep telling everybody and this is part of the denial so when i deal with somebody that's still in the abusive relationship And they start telling me, oh, but I want to go to couples counseling with them and fix this. Do not listen to me now. Believe me later. Do not do it. Because what will happen is the abuser will take what is said in therapy and they will use it against you. They'll flip the script. They'll use it against you. They'll gaslight you and they'll make the situation even more dangerous. And this is where denial is deadly because I I don't know. Did you read? Um, there was a latest incident in France where a woman was being abused by her husband and he set the house on fire and she ended up on the top of the roof and then he killed three police officers. So this situation had been going on for a long, 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 long time, but she kept going back to him. And that's the deadly part of it. It's like, you cannot fix these people guys. If they're, if they are verbally abusing you, if they are physically abusing you, it's not going to get better. And it oftentimes ends up in the death of the spouse that's being abused. So, I, you know, and, and I mean, the, the an opposite side of that, not, well, not an opposite side, but just another version of this. And I don't know how it ultimately played out, but I, I still work with the DOD. So I, I have a, 
our work with airmen and stuff, we had a, we had this one young troop who was going through a nasty breakup and his ex was doing the silver bullet. You're abusive. You, you know, you, you hit me. I mean, and in the military, it's a wholly different thing. I mean, so if you get caught up in that, the, the ability to go to jail or Leavenworth or whatever is a lot easier than out on the, uh, out on, you know, in the real world. Mm-hmm. But so, you know, they got the lady, I mean, everyone believed the guy, right? So this was one of the unique things. It's like, okay, you know, this, this chick is crazy. This isn't true. Uh, leadership was backing him up. Typically that isn't the way it happens, but you know, th- they were. And like three months later, they're back together. And it was like, I'm just looking at going, oh my God, it's a train wreck. I mean, you've already seen somebody who's willing to try to, to sacrifice your freedom and make up stories to destroy you. You know, right. now you're allow- you're allowing that viper back into your your environment, and, and again, that's the denial. That's it, the excuse making. Oh well, and this is something I've heard. Oh my God, so many times. Oh well, she had a really bad childhood. Oh well, you know, she didn't have a good good parenting, or he didn't have good parenting, yeah. or whatever the bullsh tinky excuse is. It's like no they're an adult and even though maybe the inner child might be running things they're still an adult there and they are making choices and when somebody shows you who they really are leave them the first time don't wait for a second time and what we tend to do as people pleasers because we've had you know maybe messed up childhoods or or we're just you know really really hoping that everybody's going to be healthy and normal we give people second, third, fourth, and fifth chances. Yeah. I would say, honestly, when they show you who they are the first time, peace out, be gone. Because they've showed you who they are. I mean, if you have to, you could play life like a baseball game, but that's playing with deadly fire. You know, three strikes and you're out. But yeah. when they show you who they are, leave. Don't sit there and go, well, you know, no. Uh-uh. Once is a fluke. Twice is a coincidence. Three or more times is a is goddamn pattern. pattern. Yeah. No, I mean, it, I, it's funny. I had a, uh, I keep saying it's funny. I had a conversation with one of my kids. I think it was my youngest of maybe six, seven months ago. We were talking about relationships. And I basically said, you know, you can have compassion for an empathy for somebody who has problems. It doesn't have to be your problem. You know, I mean, if you have kids and it ha- I mean, if you're, if you're married and your kid has an, an issue, you know, then it's your thing, your thing. If you get married to somebody and you realize, oh crap, you know, it's a problem you know, you have somewhat of an obligation to at least try, but you don't have to take everyone else's issues and make it your own. It's not, it's not worth it. You know, I mean, we have, we have this one life and yeah, we can have compassion for people and we can try to be, be there and help them, but we don't need to make their issues, my, your issues. And that's the thing because of who we are, we are kind, gentle people. We like to help other people. We want it would be lovely to see the entire world enlightened. That would be awesome because then there would be no more jerks. So, but remember, not everybody out there thinks the way we do. And that is our deadliest mistake is that we assume that everyone is going to have the same moral code, the same kindness, the same compassion, et cetera, et cetera. So you can have compassion for your abuser, but that does not mean they need to be in your life. So Pima yeah. Chodron talked about the difference between compassion and idiot compassion. So compassion is being able to look at the abuser and go, damn, y'all are screwed up. I, I got it. Your family was, woohoo, yeah. You know, and I cannot fix you. And I don't need to have you in my life. That's compassion. It's like you understand why they're doing it, but you choose not to have them in your life. Idiot compassion is where we go, oh my gosh, your family was so screwed up and I'm going to be the savior and I'm going to fix you and I'm going to save you. And, you know, and then it just ends up in a train wreck. So you, you just called me an idiot because <laughs> I, I did. <laughs> no, it's funny. God, I say that again, but it's a, it's another epiphany is I remember back in the day when I was, you know, when I was courting my ex, well, she wasn't the ex at the time, courting my new wife potentially. And I, and I was thinking, oh man, we both have this screwed up thing. So we have this kindred spirit that we understand each other. And I, and I mean, I mean, and and to be perfectly clear, I didn't need to be in a relationship with anybody. Right. I mean, that was, that was roll on the dice and I needed to do some serious work and I didn't know. So, but uh, yeah, I fell straight into that. Um, I, (laughs) ding, 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 that was me. (laughs) 
when you get with somebody who is covert, oh. they're the victim. They're the victim. You know, yeah. it's like, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. And I call them ask holes because they're constantly asking for help, but they're never taking the advice. They're never doing anything on their own. Yeah. It's learned helplessness and they want everybody around them to take care of them. And it's like, oh my God. So when we are young and inexperienced, we tend to get, especially if we want to save people, we tend, you know, codependency, we tend to get with somebody who appears to be helpless or in need of help. And they keep telling us that they want to grow. They keep telling us that they want to change, but they never take any of the advice. They never yeah. read any of the books. They never go to therapy. They never grow. They never change. And they keep asking more, 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 more. Give me more. Give me more. Give me more. Give me more. I think, you know, if you're in that situation where you really want to help people and that's a noble cause, um, become a, go the route and become a licensed therapist. It's that way you can help right. people in a, in a structured environment and you can have, and I'm sure you get a lot of self gratification of helping people, but oh, it yeah. doesn't, but you don't have to do it to where it in, if affects or infects your life. And I think it's boundaries. I think, um, oh, yeah. really understanding boundaries is a, a good thing, whether you are a therapist or whether you are just average Joe on the street. And that is something that disordered families never teach their children because there are no boundaries in disordered families. They just mow right over them. And so then we get into a romantic relationship where the boundaries get mowed right over. And again, like you were saying, we've normalized it. We've oh, said, yeah. oh, this is, oh, this is okay. No, it's not. That's why I'm saying read these books, realize what normal is and what dysfunctional is and don't be in denial about the dysfunction of your own family or the dysfunction of your own relationship because eventually, I mean, it does get worse. It's just, Oh my God, the stories I could tell you would just yeah. blow your mind. But these people, male and female, they don't get better. They do get worse. And what's terrifying is to watch somebody go back into the relationship. And what oftentimes will happen is they will overshare. So the dangerous, most dangerous thing that a target of abuse can do is that they overshare to the abuser and they're in denial about the abuser's true intention. So the abuser will be like, oh, but I love you and I want you to be okay. And I just want to make sure we're all right. And you're acting differently. What's going on? Well, then suddenly the target of abuse is telling them, oh, I'm in therapy and I'm, you know, I'm working on this, that, and the other thing. And she said this, that, that about you. Well, and the next thing you know, they're, the abuser is telling them to get out of therapy. Right. You know, and then a year later, I'll get a text or an email saying, oh, my God, you were right. You know, blah, 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 blah. Well, let, me, finally let me ask you this. It's, what I've seen is typically when someone goes back, it's mm -hmm. a hell of a lot worse the second time around. It's like oh, they yeah. it's like oh. Oh, it's like they feel like they've they've like, oh, wow, I got away with all of this before. Now I can try. I'm going to push a little farther and see how how low this person feels of themselves. Well, and not only that, but they've realized that they have allowed a loophole for them to get out. Yeah. So those loopholes get closed. So they'll start like, say for example, that you had an email address that they didn't know about. Well, because of the abuse, because the gaslighting, because of whatever childhood issue is going on, the abused, the target will then tell the abuser about the secret email or about the bank account that they had been hiding so that they could get away. <laughs> And then the abuser will lock that all down. They'll go through their phone. They'll go through their computer. They'll put tracking devices on. They'll put keystroke loggers on. They'll, you know, they'll do all this crazy stuff. And it's dangerous. You, it, denial yeah. is dangerous, guys. It will lead to you being harmed physically, mentally, emotionally, or otherwise. Or all. It's, yep. You know, and it's so tough, right? Because you're supposed to trust your spouse. Your people are, you're supposed to give people extra chances and, and all that stuff. I mean... <laughs> So it's, it seems like everything you just said, which I absolutely agree with is uh, of what not to do, but it's like society tells you that's exactly what you're supposed to do. And it's but just, you know what, again, if we look at what is influencing society, what is the yeah. number one movies right now? It's all the Hallmark Christmas movies, which always have the turning the bad guy into a good guy, heartwarming you know, lovey-dovey, romantic, you know, and then with the Disney stuff, turning the bad guy into the good guy, you know, you see where I'm going with that. Yeah. It's like society has got, and think of it too this way. 
society has got a really weird thing about speaking the truth about abuse. If somebody speaks up and says, my family was abusive, they get hit with a whole bunch of crazy cray-cray people. Oh, you can't say that about your family. You can't say that about your mom and dad. You can't. Yeah, I can. Watch me. I wrote a book about it. Screw you. You know what I'm saying? It, it's like, yeah. it, it, it's like they've got this thing where it's like, no, 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 no. Every single family has got to be, you know, sunshine and Hallmark holidays. And I'm like, no, they're not. Some families are deadly. Yeah. So you got to get rid of this denial. If somebody tells you that their parents are abusive, believe them. That should be Don't throw yeah. stuff at them saying you have to honor them. You have to do this. You have to do that. No, if they are abusive to you, you can cut the cord and be done. Well, and I would say if someone is telling you that they're if you're courting somebody and they're telling you that their family is abusive, that's a red flag. And, you know, mm -hmm. look into it doesn't necessarily mean that that person hasn't healed and, and worked through it. Uh, right. but you need to put extra work and extra caution in that before well, you, you need to ask proceed. them, have you worked on it? Yeah. Are you going to therapy? Are you working on this? What are some of the issues that you saw in your family that have affected you? You know, you got it. I hate to say this, but you have to interview yeah. your, you know, your prospective partner. And this is a funny story. So when John and I recorded, um, this was God, geez, dinosaurs were roaming the earth, <laughs> but <laughs> back when we were living in LA and you know, he and I were dating and everything, and it was getting more and more serious. And I basically decided that I was going to tell him exactly what kind of family he was marrying into because he needed to know because my dad was racist and sexist and everything else. And John is half Italian and half Mexican. So we went out to dinner and I was still drinking at that time. And I got completely doo-doo faced and I told him everything about my family. And God bless him. The man married me anyway. So <laughs> At least he didn't go, check, please. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, no, because I kind of figured he needed to know. No, I, yeah, exactly. They were. And of course, he was prepared because then the first time he met my dad, he started telling spick and wop jokes, thinking that that was funny. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to be an old maid. Holy crap. Wow. <laughs> but since John was prepared, he just kind of did the Zen thing. He was like, yeah, I could see how you think that was funny. That's all he said. I was like. I'm marrying you. You're awesome. Cause I would totally he, have been like, he knocked it out of the park. Yeah. You, <laughs> you would have said, really, let me tell you a thing. Hey, I want to hit this real quick. Just, I got a super sticker from, uh, Sarah, Sarah Connor. That's a cool name. Uh, and it's basically, it's, uh, it's a pair. You, you can't on the, in the chat, it's a pair dancing under a rain of confetti and taking his hat off saying you're amazing. They really, the other comment was that they uh, said that this discussion is on fire so thank you so much for the support, Sarah. And I'm glad you're enjoying this discussion. Uh, I do want to hit in a couple of other uh, questions. Hold on. Let me see if I can do that. Whoa, wrong. I, I tried to turn that off. Uh, base. Let me see. Let me scroll up. I'm scrolling up. Standby one. Um, oh, man. I had it on top of the screen for the entire time. I'll just read it. Moderator Debbie had uh, set it up. And uh, Maconia said, Chris, if we're healing and they're not... If the narc is hurting and has CPTSD, is there ever any wise way to quote unquote fix or repair the amicability so they can so they heal or heal their shame so that they don't affect the kids or so the kids don't get it? I guess basically what it's saying is, is that if you're divorcing somebody or if you're in a relationship or uh, while you're still technically tied with somebody, if you're in a situation where now you're going, oh my God, the parent of my my children is this toxic person how do I save my kids? What is the best response on that? So here's the thing. Generally, narcissists and malignant borderlines, when they reach malignancy, they will not go get help. If so, if they're unwilling to work on themselves, the best thing you can do is get out. And if there are children involved, you be honest with the children without bad mouthing the other parent, because remember that child is 50% them. But if the child comes to you and is upset because mom or dad has just raged at them or whatever, validate, that's not normal, hun. Healthy, normal people don't do that. It's not you. It's not you. And that's what's important. Yeah. I, I, and what I, what I've tried to do or done in my situation is like, is use any situation I can without tying it directly to their mom, like so other friends or whatever, that even if it's behavior that's like, oh my God, that's exactly, you know, that's exactly what their mom would do. And just 
work through that and say, you know, is that, you know, how does that make you feel? Is that feel, I mean, do you, do you like that? Is that who you want to be? Uh, and just drive the discussion that way. And then the second part about it is try to model better behavior, demonstrate yeah. that, you, you know, that you could be the loving person and, and deal, you know, and deal with it. Now, the other thing I would say, and I've, I do recommend to people who have young kids and a parent does Casper out, so to speak, or just kind of, well, not kind of, but abandons them. Make sure before they become adults, you get them help to deal with it because they won't tell oh. you that, that, that they, um, they'll tell you they're okay. Cause I yeah. know I thought I was okay, but, uh, yeah. don't let them go into adulthood wondering. And this is what happened with me is why does my dad not love me? You know, right. I mean, I, I, yeah. and it's so crazy. I mean, in, in, later in life, I understand what was going on and he just, he didn't, he couldn't fight the, he couldn't fight my mom. And as a result of that, I joined life thinking, you know, desperately wanting a relationship with my dad, but always thinking that, man, wh why doesn't he care about me? Why doesn't he give a rat's ass? And yeah, it's hugely important to get the kids into therapy. As soon as you recognize that there's a disordered spouse and when you're getting the divorce, make sure it's in the decree. Make sure that you have the right to put them into therapy because I have seen so many abusers try to make sure that that wasn't in the divorce decree and then use that later on saying, well, it's not in the decree. I don't agree to it. So what and do you say just, to people who, cause I've had a few conversations with people where they'll say, well, I don't want, you know, I don't want to, you know, cause any more craziness or, or stigma or anything with my child. Uh, and I don't want to put them through that and, and they're doing pretty good and they don't need that. And I, and I mean, Here's the thing. Kids caretake their parents. Yeah. You don't even realize it. Kids caretake their parents. And so when there is an abnormal situation going on, make sure they get into a good therapist so that they have a safe place to vent. Now, the other thing I have seen happen is the disordered parent will try to interfere with that. They'll try to yeah. stop the therapy or they want all of the notes from the therapy. So here in Arizona, the nice thing of it is, is that well, depending on the agency, you can tell the parent, no, I'm not going to tell you everything that's going on in therapy. I will let you know if there's a danger to self or danger to others. Other than that, it's private. I, so. it, it's funny. I keep saying that. It's like you keep coming up with things that kind of just trigger these little, these little things. Uh, my youngest daughter is using uh, uh, teen counseling. It's basically a, a, a thing of better help, better health, help. Anyways, it's the <laughs> online therapy thing. Um, and uh, so she has a therapist there. So I, I the other day I did a, uh, uh, just kind of like a session just to, you know, hey, how are things going? And I, I found myself, because I, I asked a question and I'm like, hey, um, you know, whatever, this is what's going on. And there was a pause and I'm like, oh shit, shoot, sorry. I'm like, crap, I can't say it that way. Because I mean, you know, the, because it's, it's, you know, right. like what you just said, right? I mean, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to violate that trust that my daughter has with her. So I said, okay, let me switch this around. These are the things that she's saying to me. And I just, you know, I just want to make sure that you know that, the, you know, it's one of those things I didn't, and I, and I get it, right? Because I could be like, oh, well, I think they're saying this to try to get information. That's what I wasn't trying to do. But, uh, right, but right. yeah, you're right. We'll we'll do that. They'll demand and they'll stop therapy if the therapist refuses to play their game. So yeah. I've seen it back to court over that, where they literally had to go to court for the judge to tell the, ther the, the narcissist to shut the bleep up and allow the children to see their therapist. And it's really heartbreaking when the kids have a really good therapist, there's a good rapport there, and then the narcissist demands Ruins that it, it stops. Yeah. Well, I, my take uh, has always been on it that, especially for kids, is mm -hmm. they need a place. I mean, I, I would like, let me back up. I would like to think that I am the most best father on the planet that, you know, just, I'm just great. There's nothing that could be wrong with me, but, uh, you know, the kids need a, a place to where they can say, you know, my dad is irritating the crap out of me and be able to work through it, you know? Exactly. And, exactly. and my thing on it, when I talk to, when I talk to therapists, I'm like, look, I just want to make sure everything's good. You know, is there anything I could be doing differently to be a better, you know, to, to, to better help my child through this? And, uh, you know, the report was, was, was good, <clears throat> which, I mean, I, I, I know that, I mean, even though the, in my situation, the ex is constantly trying to drive wedges, uh, I know my relationship with my youngest is strong. So, right. Which is good. And something else I wanted to bring up too, speaking of divorce, oftentimes what I will hear the target of abuse say is, 
oh, I don't want to hurt them. I don't want to, I don't want to cause any more problems. I don't want to, so I'm not going to ask for half, or I'm not going to ask for the house, or I'm not going to, or another thing I've heard them say is, oh my God, I just want to be done with them. I just want them out of my life. I just want them. So I'm going to give them everything. Oh, for the love of God. Oh, don't I hate do it when that. people do that. Don't freaking do that. The whole intent of the narcissist terror campaign, the smear campaign, the intimidation campaign, that whole thing is to give you to get you to give up everything for them. They will not go away. Even though you give them the ranch, they will not go away. These, especially if you've got kids, they will be in your life for the rest of your life. Because even though the kids are grown up and now they're 18, now you've got weddings, you've got babies, you've got funerals, you've got whatever. So you must stand up for what is rightfully yours. And you must have boundaries like a mofo. You know what I'm saying? Because if you don't, as soon as you give the ranch away, they go, ha, 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 ha. I can do whatever I want. And then they go. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I get, I, I mean, I was in that mode in the beginning. I mean, if thank God the ex didn't agree to what I initially initially agreed to because I gave away the farm. And mm -hmm. you and and the problem is you're like okay well I'm gonna make it easy and you and you you kind of think that all these stereotypes are legit and oh my god you give them power and you give them everything and now you have family court basically enforcing it you are hosed I've seen so many people oh. who later realize oh my god I made a mistake and trying to undo it is nearly impossible it's not impossible but it's really hard it's really hard and the other big mistake that people make and I do not understand this one. Well, I do. It's denial. So they keep telling me, but they need their mother, but they need their father. No, they don't. If mom or dad is abusive, why in the would you want that child to be around an abuser? So if the courts are seeing fit that they're, they've got less than 50-50, good. <laughs> you know, it's like, don't. Well, let me, this actually, it's, it, this comes up with a question. Actually, it's the next question I wanted to highlight because I know we're starting to run out of time and it comes from, it comes from uh, all's well. And it says, I'm going to ask it, Chris, why do abusers use false claims of parental alienation and basically abuse against their ex? What can we do when they call, when they tell our children we're to blame for the vol their voluntary absence? That's when you need a therapist because what they're doing is they are pr practicing parental alienation right there. Yeah. So by trying to drive a wedge between you and your child and, and involving the children in the divorce, how unfair, how massively unfair to put this on a four, a five, a six, a teen, a whatever, you know, it's not the kid's problem and children should not be involved in the divorce. What all they need to know is mom and dad just didn't work out. We just didn't mesh you know, and we're separating for both of our own goods. And there it is. And that's it. You don't blame, you don't shame, you don't guilt but, trip. But let's, you know, let's flip it around to the other side. Uh, Cause I know she's dealing, Allswell's dealing with that situation right now, but let me like for my situation, like with my dad, right? So he wanted to be in my life. My mom had pretty much vilified him made, you know, that was back in the day before cell phones and stuff. So she'd pull the thing like, Oh, your dad's going to come by and see you. And he never shows up because he never knew. And right. so, but what do you do on the opposite side? If you're the parent who isn't seeing your kid because you've, you've had a false claim of abuse and, you know, maybe there's a temporary restraining order or something and you're not able to, I mean, you're, if you're on the flip side to it, cause that happens too. I mean, that, oh, that yeah, absolutely. false, false claims happen all the time. And that's why it makes it doubly hard for true targets because then you've got all these wahoos doing these false claims. So if you are on the opposite side of that and somebody is pulling this parental alienation thing, my suggestion would be you get a good attorney and you fight it to your last breath. Because two things, one, you need to undo this. And two, you're going to be able to show your kid, I fought for you. I fought for you. I fought to have you in my life. And, and while this is all going on, you are going to be keeping a journal or a letter writing thing going that you're going to hand your child when they are 18 so that they have a clearer understanding of what was going on and what you were doing. And it's not going to be blaming the ex. It's going to be like, I love you so much. I can't see you. I wish I was there with you. Unfortunately, there's this restraining order and I can't see you right now, but I've got an attorney and I'm doing everything I can. I'm going to give you these letters when you're 18. So you know what I've tried to do. 
Yeah. And you know what I'll, I'll say? I was, I was talking with uh, another, well, I won't use their name. I'll let them tell their story. But basically, alienation, I mean, just the whole nine yards, you know, kids finally an adult, the relationship completely degraded. And then with time was able to reconnect and now they're having a, a good relationship. I, and I know I, I hate, pe- I know people hate to hear me say that sometimes it takes until they get to be an adult to redo it or to, to kickstart the relationship. But, um, the reality is I think most kids, like even me, right. Even though I believed that uh, I believed everything I was told. And, and even when, in my situation, when my, my dad's actions re- unfortunately backed up the story that my mom was saying and even with that I still wanted to have a relationship with my dad I still would reach out every once in a while I still would would uh you know try to keep the door open there was a one period of time where I stopped talking to him just because I I was like I felt like I was annoying him and I'm like well I'm always trying to chase him let me just see what happens and three years later I hadn't heard from him until my grandfather died which is, I mean, that is a bad indication. However, the reality is, is he was so hurt by what had happened and how I basically took my little bony finger, you know, and just jabbed it in his eye, you know, boop, over and over again. It was a defense mechanism. And I didn't see it. I didn't see it until I was sitting over there on that couch right there. And I realized, holy crap, I'm starting to think that some of the things he did make sense to maintain my own sanity. And I finally had an epiphany. I'm like, oh my God, I know why he did what he did. Because he, yep. he had no choice. It was either going to emotionally kill him right. or he just had to basically let me go and put up a wall and a, bo- uh, a barrier and a boundary to to keep right. me from hurting him. Well, and this is the other thing that people I don't think are prepared for. When you are leaving an abuser, they will use the children as pawns. You cannot be in denial about that. Yeah. And you have to be on the lookout for the parental alienation. You also have to be on the lookout for false allegations and you need to save up your money for good lawyers. You do, yeah. you know. Unfortunately, a lot of times what abusers do is they convince the spouse to give up their bank account or to have a joint account with them. They'll clear it out and you've got nothing. So you cannot be in denial about this stuff. You cannot. It's, um, you're right. And, and you know, it's funny. I mean, I've been watching a bunch of, of Dave Ramsey stuff for financial stuff, which is off topic, but, but you know, Everybody goes out there and says, you know, if you're with somebody, you have to combine everything. You have to work as a team and all this stuff. And and the sad reality is if you pick the wrong person, you're just setting yourself up. Absolutely. And it's so John and I, even though John and I are a healthy couple, he's got his stuff. I got my stuff. And then we got the house pot that we put things into for the house. Yeah. I, I that's you know, that's the route that I would take, too, now. And I mean, but and but but that's a. But for me, that's because of what I went through. That's because I got torpedoed and just hosed through family court. And it's mm-hmm. like, I never want to, I, ne- I never want to put myself in that position again. I don't know if that was your, if that was the. You know, for me, it was watching my mom and dad because my dad yeah. was an attorney. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so he had absolute purse strings control. My mom worked for him. He never paid her a salary. She didn't have. You know, oh, she no. basically. Labor. It was basic slave labor. And so when I was a teenager, I asked her, I said, Mom, why the hell don't you divorce this asshole? Yeah. And she was like, I can't. I have no money. I can't. You guys would be destitute. I've got to stay, stick with him. And I'm like, oh, my God, never, 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 oh, never, never. You know, I, I, it's, I've said to my kids, too, like even my girls, it's like, you know, make sure you have your own career. Don't be dependent on somebody. I mean, you know, but hey, if you both are working together towards a goal, that's great. But have your own, you know, don't get yourself into a situation where you're like, like what you just said. It's like, oh, crap, I have right. no options or the option right. is so bad that the, the current environment isn't isn't as bad. I want right. to hit one other question before because uh, we're going to run out of time here in a minute. And this is from yeah. Namaste. And it says, how do you handle when the toxic parent uses the kids to get you like telling them today, like telling them today is a special day. It's mommy and daddy's anniversary and we've gone, or they've gone low contact and have been separated for two years. Isn't that just fabulous? <laughs> I see your <laughs> Oh my God. That's abuse. Yeah. That is abuse. That is verbal abuse. That so what is- do you, what do you say to your kids whenever they come back to you and they go, Oh mommy, 
our daddy, oh, you know, mommy is, or daddy is saying that, you know, Sunday is your guys' uh, would, would have been your 17th wedding anniversary. What the hell do you say to your kid on that? Well, you say, hmm, this is really interesting, hon. We've been separated now for three years and the anniversary no longer means anything. So, you know, I'm glad that they're honoring it, but it means nothing to me. Yeah, I think the, the, the frustrating part on that, especially for kids, because most of the time kids want, they even if it's a bad thing, they want they want that secure or that perceived security to be back together. They want the normalcy right. back. That's what the abusive parent is playing oh, on. Yeah. It's, it's that intermittent positive rewards, remember? Yeah, yeah. Oh, 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 mom and dad are going to get back together. Oh, 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 this is great. This is great. You know, it, Oh, speaking of another another wonderful thing that my kid's therapist said to to one of my kids, uh, literally said to uh, what was it? Maybe ten or eleven year old, maybe thirteen. Can't remember the age. Um, if I would have been your your mommy and daddy's marriage counselor, they'd probably still be together. <laughs> Fire that person. Ah, uh, I hear Seriously. it. It was. I, I was like. Therapists out there, guys, listen to me now. Believe me later. There, the, my profession is filled with disordered people. It, it really, honest to God, is, and a lot of them are narcissists because of the power differential. The jobs that we do are very. What's the word I'm looking for? With great power comes great responsibility. I sound like Spider Man, but it's true. So you've got to be careful of finding a therapist that is themselves disordered. Yeah, not finding. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I couldn't believe there were so many different. And the, and the problem is, is because it was so contentious that I knew that if I, so in my situation, it was like, well, if I cancel this or stop it, the ex is never going to let me get these kids back into therapy. So it was right. like, it was one of those things where I was like, well, crap. Um, now, thank God, my youngest was like, I don't want to see that therapist anymore. I'm Good. done with it. And uh, I tried to find some local therapists, but in this area, I mean, I think in most areas, it's really tough. Either they're all booked or they're, like you said, or they're just not the quality people. Um, that's why I really think this better help thing uh, is, although it's kind of expensive, I mean, I think it cost me a hundred, like it's 156 bucks a month or something. And, but they do video, they do video uh, that, that's, they have a HIPAA, you know, certified app so that you can send messages back and forth. And, uh, and the nice part about it is if you don't, if the person's not working, you just say, give me a new one and it'll just find, it'll go through and for it's per, per state. So they'll find right. somebody else who fits your criteria, what you're looking for, who's licensed to practice therapy in, uh, in your state. So it's been a really, um, potential or I've, I've, I've appreciated that. You sound like I'm doing an ad for him. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever works, son. Whatever works. And do be careful of your, your therapist. Make sure you interview them really well. Look at their reviews. Look to see what people are saying. Word of mouth is the best way to find a good therapist. Yeah. Oh, it's like, and I was, I was trying to get my therapist to, uh, to see, to work with my, my daughter. Cause I'm like, oh man, this lady's phenomenal. And she wouldn't, she, uh, she's like, no, it's a conflict. Well, conflict of interest and plus she's like i don't want to deal with your ex right yeah. and that is very true a lot of therapists myself included i won't get involved in like as soon as i realize that it's a abuse thing it's like i focus in working with the target and i let them get somebody else for the kids you know kind of thing so because if the target's not healthy the kids won't be healthy yeah so. So on that, I guess we need to wrap it up because I got to do a few announcements. Anything else you want to hit before we wrap this up? No, I think we've covered it all. That was a good discussion. It went by fast. Thanks for coming yeah. on again, Chris. I, I, I appreciate it. Uh, we always have these really good discussions. Uh, and uh, hopefully a lot of people got out of it. Um, now, are you doing anything special or anything? I should have asked you this before, but do you have anything special you're doing this week for the Christmas thing on your show or anything? Oh, no, this weekend I'm doing kicking guilt and shame to the curb. And that'll be on Sunday, right? Sunday at noon. Awesome, guys. Well, check out her channel. Oh, I didn't bring that up before, but I'll have links in the show notes and the links to the books. Thanks so much for hanging out. And what I'm going to do right now is I I, I have a uh, later today, I'm going to be doing kind of a 
not a summit, but a, a, a collaboration with Veronica Archer. You guys remember her from uh, You Get to Be You before. So I'll put uh, a link to that in the description of this video and the show notes. So that'll be later today. And on that, guys, thank you so much for hanging out with us today and enjoying or not enjoying, but participating in the conversation. And the last thing I want to say is thank you so much for the channel members who help keep the lights on and and uh, the Internet running and the software spinning and all that stuff. So you guys have a great rest of your day. I'll be back here tomorrow and don't let these don't live in denial and don't let these people torpedo your life. All right. Take care.